0: Just a quick break to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio with none of the junk. I'm talking no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Element can help you to not only reach your highest performance goals, but also will fuel you in the day to day to live your healthiest and most efficient life. Put to the test, Element has been used by the U.S. Olympic team, NFL, NBA, NHL, special force teams, and hundreds of thousands of humans who are striving to live their healthiest life. I've been using Element every single day for the past few months, and whether it's gearing up for a hard track workout or trying to focus on some podcast work, I always feel better, more alert, more hydrated after taking Element. You guys can get a free Element sample pack with any purchase through our custom URL. All you have to do is go to drinklmnt.com slash the running effect. My favorite flavors are watermelon and raspberry salt. I uh, would definitely check those out to get started. Element offers no question asked refunds, so you can try it totally risk-free today. If you don't like it, they will give you your money back, no questions asked. Guys, I'm confident you guys are going to love it. Again, go to drinklmnt.com slash the running effect to get your free Element element sample pack with any purchase. Okay, let's get back into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and coming back on the podcast for her second ever appearance is the one and only Vanessa Frazier. Vanessa is an athlete for Nike and Nike's Bowerman Track Club. And she also is recently, uh, she works for a venture capitalist firm in the San Francisco area. So to excel in both of those things is quite extraordinary and impressive. And because of her recent changes from full time professional runner to still being a professional runner, but now going into this interest of venture capitalism. Uh, I wanted to get her back on the podcast and ask her some questions surrounding all of that. So today's conversation was a ton of fun. I learned a lot about Vanessa's uh, current life and all the exciting things she's got going on. Before we hop right into today's episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow, a five-star review. Uh, If you have not already done so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you're already listening to this, so it will legitimately take between five and ten seconds to do those two things. And then also consider sharing the show with a friend or two, a family member, member, a teammate, a parent, a sibling, whatever it might be, um, through doing that we can reach more people and hopefully inspire them in the process. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the one and only Vanessa Fraser. Vanessa Frazier, welcome back to The Running Effect Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I'm going to start us out with a little bit of a throwback. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of my facts here, but since third grade, you wanted to go to Stanford. Your dad went to Stanford, and then you ended up going to Stanford and contributing both academically, but maybe uh, more prominently, people know about your contributions on the track and on the grass. You did so many incredible things at that university. The reason I ask is because today is decision day for the regular decision students. So I'm curious, do you remember the day you found out that you got into Stanford?
1: Oh my gosh, yes, I do. Um, I found out separate from regular decision day uh, since you know the recruiting process runs on a different timeline. Um, and I got the phone call from the assistant coach at the time letting me know that my application was accepted, and I, for some reason, I was walking through my parents' garage. I don't know if I went out there just as I was, like, freaking out or what, but it's, like, that thing where you remember exactly where you are when you're getting news that's very newsworthy, and... Yeah, I remember that moment so vividly. It was a dream come true for me. And then like the next day or that weekend, uh, Stanford and Oregon were playing each other in football. And that's an iconic rivalry. And I had some friends over and we watched the game and it felt like a little celebration. And yeah, it was very exciting, happy times.
0: So just this past week, I had on mutual friend Alex Osberg back on the podcast. On that podcast, without even him trying to sound smart, he said one of the most genius quotes, at least. Uh, I had to put it in, like, the Notes app on my phone of, of quotes. Um, uh-huh. His quote, while he was talking about, I forget what, we were, what subject we were talking about. But Alex said, so often we rush through ordinary moments waiting for the promise that extraordinary moments have to offer. And only in hindsight do we realize that those ordinary moments sometimes hold the most meaning." So when you think mm-hmm. back to your Stanford years or even just your life in general, uh, what are some of those ordinary moments that looking back on them, you're like, wow, those were a lot more special than they were in the moment.
1: <laughs> I love that quote. Alex is definitely very, very wise. It's funny because I have these random memories from my time at Stanford that really stand out to me that were very, very ordinary. Like I can think of specific moments coming around the um curve on the track looking up and seeing hoover tower and literally pinching myself and being like wow this is my life this is literally what i dreamed of for so many years and it's just an ordinary day of practice you know just another track workout i did those twice a week every week for five years and yet i can think of some of those like specific times where it's just a normal workout i'd pinch myself and be like yeah this is this is me living out my dream that's pretty cool.
0: Outside of the running and practice aspect of attending Stanford what were some of your favorite things to do outside the classroom and outside of practice that you look back on fondly?
1: Just like biking through campus uh, going to Koopa Cafe on campus meeting a friend and getting a chai latte it's like the the classic favorite order at Koopa Cafe um hanging out with friends in their dorm rooms uh i had a couple friends uh that i would play sophomore year i'd go and play mario kart with <laughs> which i'm not like a gamer at all and i'm terrible at mario kart even which i feel is the most basic but um or uh two button fifa i'd go over to their room and um play that i had a couple other friends where we had like tuesday night pillow talk tradition and I'd go over there on Tuesday night and we'd have deep philosophical conversations. Um, again, it's kind of funny. It's like very ordinary activities with friends that made up this collective experience. Um, it's just so special and unique. Uh, when you're in college, I think back on it now a lot. Um, and, often yearn for what I think is most special, which is that you're in a community of people who are all your age, um, with vastly different interests, but at the same time, you're all sort of on this similar path of getting an education and immersing yourself in these collegiate experiences. And it's just never in your life are you ever in that environment ever again, where you're surrounded by a few thousand people your same age who are all kind of in this same community um so it's just yeah it's just a special unique time of life
0: you're currently back in the san francisco area which is close enough to stanford um after being in oregon and when i say in oregon you were always at altitude camp so not really in oregon but all over the place what's it like to to go back at least somewhat close to stanford and go back to your roots
1: it's been great i really really miss training with the team on a day-to-day basis like i'd be remiss not to recognize the huge hole in my life that that has left but you know with every loss there's something to to be gained and to be back in the bay area i really do my heart is really in the bay area Uh, growing up south of the bay down in santa cruz and going to stanford and every little pocket has its own personality and San Francisco itself is definitely very unique. So it's kind of nice because it has this flavor of home, this flavor of nostalgia from college, but at the same time, it's also a new experience. and, And I think it's really important to have new experiences in your life as well. So it's a good mix of that.
0: Going back a little bit in time, I guess we've been back in time this whole time. So maybe going forward from your college years and what we've been talking about, uh, take me through your decision to take a step back from the Bowerman Track Club and go into the venture capital industry um, and just, yeah, those steps. And then I'll ask you a few follow-up questions on that.
1: The decision was not one that I, I guess that came from within in the sense that it really fell into my lap and forced me to have to make the decision. I wasn't consciously thinking that I was going to be making a change anytime soon. I sort of had the timeline of, of making it through the 2024 trials and then reassessing from there, which I think a lot of athletes think in terms of Olympic cycles, but I got recruited for this job. And I'd always had an interest in the venture industry because of the similarities that I see in startups and entrepreneurs to the athletic experience, but especially being an endurance distance runner, it's very rewarding to those who play the long game and have really long-term horizon goals and being able to, I guess, be a very small part of other people's visions for creating world changing companies, I found really, really inspiring. um, And I had a little bit of exposure and experience with that in college. So I knew I had that interest. Yeah, this recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn about this opportunity. And I kind of explored it and took some phone calls and ultimately found myself getting really excited about it. And it forced me to really do some reflecting on, you know, my day to day experience with running and my goals and felt that uh, I was in this, a bit of this trap where I felt like I was doing what I was doing simply to get results and realize that when you're living your life in a way to just simply get results, um, it can often leave you feeling very empty unless you're getting those results. And then when you're getting those results, it all feels worth it, right? Like anything that's worth having in life, I think involves sacrifice And it doesn't always feel like sacrifice if you really love it. And at the same time, um, if you're not getting really what you feel like are true rewards from all that sacrifice that you're putting in, it can wear you down mentally. And that's the place that I started getting to where I was just pouring so much into running and I felt like my body was working against me. It was always something whether – you know, I had my surgery back in 2020 and a little bit of injury trouble after that. But then I had been healthy for two years. So it wasn't even injury issues. It was like confusing physical body things, low ferritin, um, fatigue, overtraining, uh, low estrogen red S like all these different things coming up that just felt like my body was working against me and I wasn't able to run at the level that I wanted to run. And, and it does get to a point where I'm like, wow, this is not, this is not fulfilling me if I'm not getting what I want out of this. And then it's like, okay, so maybe I'm not actually loving this sacrifice in the day to day. And I need to, to reevaluate how can I create a life um, that I really love regardless of the results that I'm getting and reconnect with my true love and joy of running. Cause I truly do still have big goals in the sport and believe that I have more potential in the sport, but in order to get there, I have to create a day-to-day life that that's filling my cup, regardless of the times that I run on the track.
0: So you're talking about some of those minor setbacks you were having um, despite not having any major injuries in that two-year period. Can you take me through the mindset behind those things? Because uh, I've experienced it, I'm sure many of our Mm -hmm. listeners have, where they're like small things that are just mentally just – sometimes it's destroy you mentally and make the sport absolutely miserable but also you know you love the sport it's just not the same when you're going through a setback so can you kind of take me through your mindset um when you're going through some of those tough times and how you still try to fall in love with the sport and stay in love with the sport despite those experiences
1: yeah for sure i think the hardest thing about those sort of whatever you want to categorize them as uh non-injury setbacks are sometimes so don't get me wrong, injuries are really, really hard. But sometimes those other things are harder because you don't have a specific physical ailment that you can feel. Um, so I'm not like in pain walking across a room and having to limp and I don't have a diagnosis that tells me if I rest my foot for four weeks, it's going to heal and I'm going to be back to running in you know, X number of days and I'll be out of shape from having a little time off from the injury, but I kind of know generally this timeline that I'll be back and feeling good. And you have something like low ferritin, for example, where you feel totally normal in your day to day and even totally normal on easy runs. And then you go to do a really hard workout and you just feel off or you go to race and you feel okay the first half of the race. And then the second half of the race, you just, Kind of fall apart and it's confusing um it's frustrating and it's validating when you finally get blood work and you go oh yeah this is probably why i'm not feeling so good but then it's still kind of an unknown timeline of when is this level going to be normalized and then how long does it take for my body to feel better and i think it's just really hard to it is really hard to Uh, You know, hold on to the joy in the sport during those times Um, and I think I think that's where it becomes really important and that's like the lesson that I really had to learn to detach your joy from the sport from your goals and your desire to get results and uh, and think about the things that bring joy outside of just achieving a certain time which is for me like running with friends running in new beautiful places and focusing on that and leaning into that and making sure to create space for that like okay I want to go on this really pretty run on Saturday with my friend and enjoy running for what it is at its pure core without, without chasing specific times and like leaning into those joys of the sport through those more challenging physical times.
0: I think uh, something I've heard through the many, many interviews I've done uh, of high level individuals advising people is to try to separate your identity from the sport so that when you have an injury or a setback, you aren't completely crushed because it's not your whole identity and you can fall back on different things. Um, How has that approach worked in your life and how hard has it been to detach your identity from? Uh, What was at a point your Mm full-time professional job?
1: It was a lot easier to separate my identity from the sport when I was in high school and college because there were just natural interests that evolved. And like I said, in college, especially when you're living in this community of people who have such a vast range of interests, you're exposed to so many different subjects in school and there's other clubs, not that I was really a part of any other club, but just the idea that there's this big world outside of just your sport and knowing that that's going on around you made me feel like a more whole person outside of just the sport. And I think that was the biggest struggle for me as a pro Um, And in the, you know, pro training environment, where all of a sudden, that community of people your age doing all these different interesting things right outside your front door is wiped away. And you're in a small bubble of people who are committing their lives to the sport, which is a beautiful thing. And, um, and is, you know, really how you reach the highest of Levels is by dedicating yourself to it, but it becomes a lot harder to separate your identity from that, and uh, you know i i I'm not gonna pretend that I had that figured out. I think that was one of the biggest problems was that I didn't really have an escape that was easy to lean on when i was when I was at altitude camp. Um, it felt like there was nowhere really to go and i was just in my thoughts of like oh gosh like why aren't these workouts clicking and and so that's part of the impetus of making the decision to move to san francisco and take a job is finding that identity and like reconnecting with that identity that i have outside of sport because everyone has that obviously nobody is made up of one thing no even the 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 Olympic gold medalists and those who dedicate their lives fully to the sport like that's also not their identity but for me I just had to find a way to like tangibly connect with other parts of myself.
0: I love the term sustainable excellence and I think it's something I struggle along with a whole hundreds thousands of people struggle with particularly in our sport where it's a bunch of type a people and individuals and it can be very easy to burn yourself out or have the wrong thoughts, the negative thoughts, the self-destructive thoughts, um, be very, you know, attach your identity to the sport. Um, So I'm curious, in your career, being around, I'm sure people who have been sustainably excellent, what is some tips or advice or commonalities you see in the people who are successful in a trait, whether it's running or business or school, um, who are successful in it, but sustainably successful and not just successful at the expense of their mental health, physical health, et cetera?
1: think it comes down to balance. Uh, Now working, you know, at a very high level firm with very successful people in the business world. At least the people I work with, they have uh, an extreme level of work life balance, they care a lot about their families, they spend a lot of time for those who have children with their children, they travel. uh, They value exercise and having that be a daily practice. Um, And on the running side, I can think of countless examples of people on our team really finding their stride when they had something else going on. For example, I've talked to Shalane Flanagan about this a lot and she said she really started to find her groove in her career when she started making her cookbooks. And And Grant, what I think he's still finishing up his master's program online, but he's been doing his master's program online the last couple of years when Courtney won her Olympic medal, she was doing a master's program online. And, you know, that's not always the case, but I can think of a lot of examples of these people having a very high level of sustained excellence. really do have other things that they're working on, that they're passionate about, or at least other hobbies that they enjoy.
0: So going back to the the venture capital bit, can you explain for our listeners who don't know what venture capital is, uh, what it is? And then also, I'm very curious, like, what does your um, day to day or like a week of your job look like?
1: So venture capital and where I work, I'm early, early stage venture capital. So you put money into a startup as an investment. And it usually, especially if you're an early stage investor, can take up to 10 years before you realize the gains. And the ultimate goal is that the company either goes public or gets acquired by another bigger company. And ideally, you know, you make a multiple return on that initial investment. But you also partner with the company as Uh, typically like a board member. So you have this strategic role in guiding the company through its growth and seeing all those growth challenges over the course of the say 10 years that it takes for it to mature and exit. And my day to day is extremely varied. Um, No day is the same, but I'm involved in supporting some of our portfolio companies. A portfolio company just means a company that the firm has invested in. And like I said, especially where I work, we take a very high involvement role with the board throughout the company's journey. So there's a lot of strategic issues that are coming up with these companies and I'm reading and analyzing the materials that they send out about the different challenges that they're facing, which I feel like is almost like mini business school for me because they're essentially these case studies of these businesses going through strategic growth problems in real time, which is fascinating. And then the other piece of the business is looking and scouting for those new investment opportunities and sort of creating theories about the world. And how is AI going to change healthcare, for example, and doing deep dive research on those specific fields and then also searching for companies that might be trying to solve problems in those areas of interest and meeting with those founders and The interesting thing about venture is that it's about like 90% no's or maybe even like 99% no's and only 1% yeses, (laughs) which is really tough. But there's just so many companies out there and our firm only makes a handful of investments every year. So you're seeing a lot, but only getting involved with a very select few.
0: So I believe you said earlier, you've seen a lot of commonalities between like high level business people with within your firm and just um, the business world and entrepreneur world and venture capital world um, Mm -hmm. and elite athletes, professional runners specifically. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest uh, commonality that serves both an athlete and a business person, entrepreneur, investor, whoever you may be, is a, like a stubborn commitment to your goal and your vision. And this mentality of, I'm going to figure it out no matter what challenge I face. So that, you know, that resilience, that drive, that stubbornness. Um, I think some of the things, some of the challenges that a company might face in in scaling out their business seem insurmountable. Uh, And it's just amazing to see what they they overcome when they have a leader and they have a CEO who is hell-bent on figuring it out. And sometimes that means pivoting. Sometimes it means, okay, we're actually gonna change the focus of our product. We're gonna change the market that we're targeting But no matter what, we're going to figure out a way to make this a successful business. And it's just so similar to an athlete who might face countless challenges throughout a season or even a decade plus long career between injuries and um, other setbacks outside of injuries, what have you, mental struggles. and, um, And it's like that mentality of you know, I don't care if I get knocked down 10 times, I'm gonna keep getting up.
0: Was it hard at first kind of take me through your transition period, maybe that first month or two, leaving the Bowerman Track Club and and going out to the venture capital firm and working there while also trying to, you know, get in your runs and and focus on training a little bit, um, but also trying to exceed uh, succeed in this new um, interest of yours? Can you take me through that first month? And was it hard? You know, we already talked about stepping away, but not actually like the steps after you stepped away. So what was that period like?
1: Yeah, I would say that the initial period was actually less challenging because I always have felt that um, I've been somebody who is resistant to change and has a hard time with change, but at the same time finds new challenges, very invigorating and exciting. So I think I was almost on this endorphin rush high the first couple of months because everything was so new and um, and I think that that can happen sometimes in college too. I think back to freshman year and it's like the first couple of months are almost the most intoxicating because you're meeting all these new people and and, uh, and just like every day is so exciting. And then at a certain point after a couple of months, the reality of your new routine sinks in. And I think that's when the challenges start to creep up more sometimes. So for me, I think it hit more like a few months in this realization of not having structured training partners to work out with every single day although i've found a lot of incredible runners to link up with and collaborate on various sessions and runs but that reality of like okay nothing is structured anymore with the team and i have to get used to going to the track at 7 a.m which as a pro, you basically never do. And little differences in the routine. But overall, and I'm still very, very early in it. And so I'm kind of curious to see how the next year or so evolves through like competing through another season of track, hopefully, and doing some more stuff on the roads. I think it just takes a lot of time to settle into a new normal. And so also just having patience with myself and knowing that it's going to ebb and flow my energy levels and my motivations toward running and just sort of being open to all possibilities. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I have to remind myself is that openness to, um, to wherever the day-to-day takes me.
0: Over the past year and this transition of yours, what are some of the biggest lessons you think it's taught you?
1: I think one of the lessons would be, sort of like I said, this flexibility. Um, Flexibility in terms of my vision for the upcoming season and um, being okay with changing plans i guess or having an open mindset to you know do i want to focus more on the roads or do i want to focus more on the track i don't know but i don't have to plan out every single race and every single month and be worried about how that's going to work out um and getting more comfortable with like that uncertainty and being flexible um Another lesson I would say is how much mental stimulation can provide daily energy and sort of underestimating that previously for myself. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. It's not just going to school or working a job, but sort of the realization that that at least for me is really important. Um, And I found it through the job. But again, even if it's just like, reading books about things that you're interested in, how much that can invigorate your life um, in ways that I sort of lost touch with in training as a pro at times because I would be so tired and I would think that laying in bed would make me feel better, but sometimes it just made me feel more tired. (laughs) Um, And then I think, and we've already touched on this too, another lesson would just be... uh, and I'm still learning it is learning to not tie your identity to any one thing, whether that's work, work, or, you know, your sport as an athlete or any sort of achievement. And as type a people as professional athletes or collegiate athletes or a high school athlete, um, even in high school, I think I, I, got so much confidence from the achievements that I was having and learning, yeah, just freaking learning it every day 10 years later that that doesn't make me who I am and that doesn't make me more of a worthy person.
0: I think a lot of people are scared and worried to go after what they truly want in life and when they are set and in a good um, job or routine they'll stick with it uh, even if there's like that dream in the back of their head that they have but they're too afraid to go after it or too fearful to go after it. What have you learned about yourself in this process of going after what you want in life and, you know, even though maybe professional running wasn't going as well as you would have hoped, like it was still a good setup. Um, You were still doing like well enough in that endeavor, but you did have this other endeavor and you weren't afraid to go after it. And now like you're doing fantastic in what you're doing currently. So what would you say to that aspect of going after what you want in life and not letting fear or fear of failure hold you back from going after it?
1: Mm -hmm. It's really hard, especially, again, as the athlete mindset and what I spoke to is serving athletes so well is this stubbornness to make something work. And there's almost this mindset of if I don't stay the course exactly how I thought I was supposed to or exactly where I am right now, like, you know, I can't give up and I have to keep at it and I have to keep banging my head against the wall no matter how long it takes to figure it out. And I think there's something to that to a certain point. But I also think there's something admirable to leaning into that fear of taking a different big risk and changing course, doing something that you didn't necessarily have planned out for yourself. And the biggest thing that helped me was realizing that, while you may not be able to go back on certain decisions, No decision is fully irreversible for the most part. So I think just telling myself that, you know, I'd rather know, I'd rather see out this what if scenario of taking this risk. And what if it's amazing and makes my life even better, makes me even happier? That's the best case scenario. And the worst case scenario is I have a major regret and I want to, you know, take it back. And again, like you can't always take it fully back. But I realize that if I really wanted to, you know, you can quit. I could quit the job at a certain point and I can move back to Oregon and I could go back to being a full time athlete that's only focused on that. And that helped a ton. And I think that sometimes we have this mentality of like, you know, if I make a decision, I'm stuck in it for a certain number of time because that's what society tells us that we need to be committed to something for a certain amount of time. And the reality is, is like, you are fully autonomous over what you wanna be doing with your time for the most part, obviously, There are certain constraints, but that realization helped me a lot to take the risk. And also just this underlying, I would rather see the what if it worked really well than to always have in the back of my mind, like wondering what would have happened if I took this big risk.
0: Speaking more on fear, there was a a quote, a saying I came across last month that I thought was really fascinating, so I've occasionally brought it up on podcasts, and because we're already talking about fear here, I'll bring it up. Um, The saying is, what most people fear is what make few people great. What are your thoughts on that quote?
1: Yeah, one of my friends was giving me some helpful advice when I was making this decision, and it kind of helped me cope with that fear and is very much along the lines of that quote, which was that, um, you know, the really successful people in the world take massive risk and surround themselves with people who are greater than them. And those are kind of like these two components of, Seeking success, however you want to define success. Um, to me, success means feeling very fulfilled and feeling like I'm striving for my potential. And um, so, yeah, this felt like a huge risk. And it's surrounding myself with people who are really great at what they do. And um, and I think it makes a lot of sense that 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 rewards. That, that risk can bring great reward and that uh, that, you know, if things if things were easy, everyone would do it, right? So yeah, it, it yeah, that quote definitely kind of resonates with that experience that I had.
0: Something I've been reflecting on in my state of life, um, you know, a lot of craziness and a lot of uncertainty about the future. A lot of people would view that uncertainty as maybe scary or not fun, but I've kind of viewed the uncertainty of life as what makes life beautiful. Um, The Mm -hmm. fact that we don't know what's going to happen and the fact that, like, a year from now, like, life could be completely different or, you know, what I'm doing could be more successful than it already is or just kind of like the unexpectedness of life making it special and kind of flipping Mm -hmm. your perspective. What are your thoughts on that and um, approaching, you know, the uncertainty and the unexpectedness of life from a positive mindset rather than like, oh, I'm super, super worried.
1: I think it's how you how a person approaches that unknown is truly what has the power to change your whole experience of existence. Um, If you think about it in terms of running or just life in general, obviously everything in the future is completely unknown. And you can either greatly fear that because of the worst case scenario or it can excite you because of the best case scenario. It's kind of like what I was talking about with making a big change is is that great uncertainty and following the what if it goes really well versus like what if it goes really bad and following that excitement. And what I've realized in my running career, the times that I was having the most fun and felt the most fulfilled were the times where I was allowing myself to really dream those big dreams. And um, even in high school, before I had won a state title, I felt so energized every time I would go out on a run and envision winning a state title. And uh, when I went through my surgery a year out from the Olympic trials, like I would get chills while I was biking and double boots just Thinking about the possibility of making an Olympic team and how exciting that was. And <clears throat> there's like so many little quiet moments through training that I've had where I like allow myself to really imagine that greatest possible outcome in a race and really feel this like invigorating joy from simply imagining that outcome. And I've had goals come true and and failed to reach goals and it is an incredible feeling when you reach a goal that you've dreamed about for months or years on end and it's crushing to not reach the goal that you've been dreaming about every day for a year coming back from a surgery but ultimately I realize, like of course in those moments it's like feels like it's defining whether you do it or not. But ultimately, I realized like how much joy I got by just dreaming about that positive possibility. And that's what made me realize like it really, in some ways, yes, it matters if you do it or not, because it can change the course of your career. But at the end of the day, what makes me feel most sustainably fulfilled is, is those times of just like imagining the what if most positive scenario and just realizing the power of your mind in the day-to-day and how that like can fully shape your perspective and outlook on your life um and so i'm like if you really do have that power like why not do that instead of the opposite of fearing the worst case scenario like if i can make myself 99% happier. And maybe I'd be 1% happier, at least for a short term, if I actually achieved the goal. But I'd still be 99% happier if I let myself imagine that every day leading up to it. Then that seems like that seems pretty good to me.
0: (laughs) Totally. So for those who have followed your journey, your career, your life, or just have listened to this podcast, never heard of your name, listened to the podcast, and was like, oh, you know, Vanessa's awesome. And also her journey is really unique from being a professional runner to going into venture capital and also still pursuing uh, professional running. What would you want people to take away from your career and what you've done over the past year of following your heart and uh, following the journey?
1: I think the biggest thing is to... I guess the bottom line is like pursue what brings you the most joy but at the root of that is to see me as someone who or to be inspired by my story to do this for yourself which is to do things not for anybody else but yourself to don't do things for the accolades don't do things for looking good on social media don't do things for a coach or a sponsor or a parent trying to make any of those people proud because at the end of the day like it's your life and um and you need to pursue what fills you up most every day in those ordinary moments what are, what's going to make those ordinary moments feel most extraordinary to you? And that's such an internal, personal experience and is so different for every person. And having the courage to like find what that exact formula is for yourself.
0: So what are some goals you have for yourself this year? 2023 could be from a running perspective, business perspective, life perspective, whatever route you want to take it or talk about all three.
1: (laughs) For running, um, my, my goal that excites me the most is running a marathon and I'm already qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon, which is February, 2024. And I'm trying to figure out if I have time to run a marathon before that, or if I'm gonna debut at the Marathon Olympic Trials, which is terrifying, but also exciting. <clears throat> so I would say a big goal of mine is to have a positive first marathon experience and uh, and run, you know, to the best of my ability and, and be satisfied with uh, with that effort. Um, a life goal of mine, which has been a dream for a while, and I'm not sure if it'll happen this year, but I, it's still in my mind is that I really want to get a dog. Um, (laughs) and it's in the works, but I, I just need to just, it's obviously a lot of responsibility. So trying to figure out if it's the right time in my life for it, but I would call that a life goal of mine. <laughs> um, and then a work goal, nothing specific other than to keep learning. I feel like I'm a sponge right now and I'm, I'm a, so inexperienced relatively speaking. So I just want to keep, keep learning on the job.
0: I love that. One final serious question for you. Definitely a a deep question, but when you hang up the spikes one day or racing shoes or trail shoes or whatever shoes they happen to be, what do you want people to think of when they hear the name Vanessa Frazier?
1: Bold and fearless. Um, Like a bold and fearless racer, a bold and fearless in pursuit of goals. Um, It's kind of what I... When I think back on my collegiate career, again, it's this idea of like, yes, I achieved goals that I was proud of, but there were definitely goals that were left on the table that I'll never be able to get back because I'll never be a collegiate athlete again. And my last race as a Stanford athlete, my fifth year, um, uh, at NCAAs in the 5k, I took the lead and really, really went for it and made this huge bold move with 800 to go and, um, and ultimately faded to fourth. And I was really disappointed that I faded back to fourth, not because I didn't win, but just felt like, um, felt like I had better in me on that day but I came to realize that like I will never regret that bold move I made and I think that that's like part of at least what Nike told me was attractive to me as a potential to them as potentially sponsoring me out of college was just like that bold fearless I'm gonna take charge in this race even though I might not have the best kick and I'm gonna have everybody hunting me down that that gumption was in there and and So I think, yeah, I would just always, I want to live my life that way, but also race that way and be remembered for that bold, fearless attitude and spirit.
0: So the first episode I did with you, I don't even remember your answer, but I'm assuming I asked you the Gordon Ramsay question, which is the classic question I ask every first time guest, what would you make for Gordon Ramsay if he was coming over for dinner? So we'll, we'll stay on the food of theme, but because you did the Gordon one, we'll, I've never asked this question, but just in thinking of, okay, what's a food question I can ask Vanessa? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite go-to meal that your mom makes for you guys?
1: Oh, a mom meal.
0: Like what's the Mrs. Fraser special?
1: um I'm gonna go back a generation and honor my grandma so my mom's mom and she used to make the best homemade mac and cheese and we've tried to like keep it in the you know keep it in the family repeat the recipe but I don't think anybody will ever make it as good as my grandma did (laughs)
0: Well, Vanessa, always a pleasure um, soaking up inspiration and wisdom from you from our conversations on the podcast. Greatly appreciate you doing this and very much looking forward to seeing all the incredible things you accomplish in the years to come. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I don't take your time for granted and I hope that today's episode impacted you and left you walking away inspired and all the more motivated to chase after your biggest goals and walking away a better version of yourself. Make sure you're following the podcast, have given us a five-star review and consider sharing with a friend. Through that, we can reach new people and hopefully inspire them in the process. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at The Running Effect to stay up to date on all the exciting projects and all the new episodes coming out generally we release two to three episodes per week so stay tuned for all of those coming your way shortly i hope you're running and life is going well guys keep chasing mastery and i will catch you in next episode